2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Liverpool go five points clear at the top of the Premier League after a 4-0 win over form side Bournemouth. Diogo Jota running the show and Darwin Nunes spinning the wheel and landing on ice-cool finishing for once. About time to make them at least second favourites for the title. A much-needed win for Arsenal. Who knew an almost full-strength Gunners after a week in Dubai would be out of form, patched up, no holiday Crystal Palace. Is this the end for Roy? Brackets disclaimer, it's never the end for Roy Ivan Tony in moving the foam controversy Forest have written to the PGMOL already hopefully they'll respond with it's vanished and we can't see it in unexpected things to say a wonderful winner from Neil Mope seals the points for Brentford and then great fun in injury time at Bramall Lane red cards penalties subkeepers non penalties as Sheffield United and West Ham draw 2-2. There's depressing racism in Italy and in the EFL, Europeans' finest circling around Newcastle for transfers, more players having a sad time in Saudi, and Pamir's birthplace. All that, plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Will Unwin, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. And hello, Lars Sividson. Hi, Max. Uh, let's start uh, on the south coast as uh, Storm Isha battered Bournemouth and the vitality, and so did Liverpool, uh, Barry. Um, Copite says, why do the media insist the team that is top of the league have a dodgy defence and no chance of winning it when they've only lost one game, drew at City, and have the best defensive record in the league? I mean, he's, he's right, isn't he? We should be saying these guys are, if not favourites, second favourites.
0: I wasn't aware that the media were saying these things about Liverpool's defense, were they? Uh well, I, maybe they are. it's passed me by if that's the case. Um I mean, obviously they they have injury issues in defense. They're they're missing their two first choice left backs. Uh they're missing Trent Alexander they were missing Trent Alexander Arnold yesterday, uh at right back. And I thought they played well yesterday. Conor Bradley made his Premier League debut right back. He's obviously not as good as Trent Alexander-Arnold, and he's, he's different to Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I thought he played pretty well. Diogo Jota had to, to fill Mo Salah's uh, size fives or whatever they are. And again, not as good as Salah, different to Salah, but he also ran the show and, and scored two, set up one. Liverpool look like they may well you know, march on imperiously without uh, Mo Salah while he's at the... Af- um, I think maybe the reason people aren't saying they're favourites for the league are because everyone expects Man City to, to go on their post-festive run of wins and Man City have really good players and loads and loads of strength and depth, uh, strength and depth that Liverpool don't necessarily have. And uh, I suppose that's that's why... People, but yeah, I, I would say Liverpool are pretty second favourites. I I would fancy them to finish ahead of Arsenal come season's end. Mm. I guess there were two questions,
2: last Well, how would they would cope without Salah? How would they would cope without Trent Alexander Arnold? Starting with the former, and, and Baz mentioned it. Jota was brilliant, and he's good at all the bits of football, isn't he? Without being sensational.
3: This is true, but I think what really marks him out in that front line that they're really interesting group of forwards that Liverpool have with like a couple of different things you can club can kind of mix and match as he has done very successfully. I think what marks him out is he's quite efficient with with his finishing and he's he's got this sort of knack for goals, which is an easy thing to say after he scored two really good finishes. But even looking at numbers, uh, like looking at the very excellent FB ref website over the last uh, three hundred and sixty five days. If you look at his other, the other forwards Liverpool have, like Gapko has scored 0.4, two goals per game. Uh, non-penalty goals Darwin have scored 0. 049 Diaz has scored 0. 0.29 so it's kind of half a goal per game and, and less whereas jota is at 0. 0.78 it's like 0. 0.8 of a goal almost per 90. So that, that for a winger is pretty sensational so he just when he's had injury problems he's no he's always, always been available for him but when he plays for Liverpool he 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 does have the sort of clinical edge in in the box which is always good to have and I think it's especially important to have when, when Sal missing so him coming back uh, just as, as Salah's gone off to the AFCON I think is very very good timing fruitful.
2: Yeah and uh, his second goal was great because the Bournemouth crowd sarcastically cheered a little too early no <laughs> wait oh geez. Um uh, you mentioned um, uh, Jota's efficiency I mean Darwin Nunes I guess Will is inefficient but Yesterday he was great, and actually both his goals really different, but both brilliant.
4: Yeah, I think with the Jota miss shot, it was very much case thinking that he might be one of us playing five a side, and that he would just stay on the ground having fallen over. It's like that's the end of that one. Oh no, he's a professional footballer. Oh no, he's really good. Ah, oh, bollocks, we've lost. Um, yeah, I, I've I've always been quite a big fan of Nunes. I like these erratic players; these unpredictable people. I think it adds to the team. A lot of people, you know, football. Tactics are very, you know, specific nowadays. Everyone's expected to do a, a specific role, you know, in certain areas of the pitch. Whereas Darwin Nunes, I'm not sure specifically what his role is, and I don't think he does, and that messes with opposition. You don't, you can't predict what he's going to do from, you know, one minute to the next. And you look at the positioning for the opener, where he gets in a great bit of space, calm finish, nice and easy, great run for the second goal to get on the end of the cross. You know, he's always Liverpool have done their homework and. Whatever the price tag is is
1: irrelevant
4: when you end up at a club like Liverpool. They'll know the qualities he's got. And he's shown them in patches and you know, his finishing might be a little bit erratic at times, but he's still young, and those things come when you get a bit cooler and a bit calmer and more measured. And he's showing that he has all those, and it's you know, up to Klopp now to get it out of him on a regular basis. But I really like him. I think he's got the physical and technical attributes. They say, he started on the left, he moved into the middle. You know, you can bring a bit of variety on on those fronts. And he's just, you know, a, a good player and actually probably taking a nice bit of responsibility, you know, without Salah in the team that, you know, they need goals. And he's played the most games for Liverpool this season. So Klopp <laughs> clearly thinks he's pretty good at football, you know, considering what you've got in that squad.
2: Yeah, you just wouldn't want to play against him at all, would you? Um, um, Mo Salah is back in Liverpool, where he's going to rehab his injury, and then he may go back to Afcon. This is what the Egyptian FA have said uh, for the semi-finals. If Egypt were to make it that far, they also didn't, as you mentioned, Barry, didn't have Trent Alexander-Arnold. And actually, I thought Danny Murphy was quite interesting on match of the day too last night. Sort of showing Alexis McAllister, even though he plays in a different position, was kind of doing that role. Was his distribution was really
0: excellent in this game, and that filled the the Trent void he sort of tom brady a few balls through the middle and was playing those long diagonals and i suppose you have to factor in it's really windy yesterday and it's difficult to do that at the best of times but playing football in high winds is hard it's really difficult and he made it look very very easy um I mean, for me, just playing football at all <laughs> is very difficult. Uh, but um, yeah, well, not if Beavers in goal, Barry. But we don't. No, no, yes, I mean McAllister is a, a, a brilliant player, and uh, I said earlier, Liverpool don't have the same strength and depth as Manchester City, and that is true. No one has uh, because of so many brilliant players. But um, Liverpool had had holes to fill yesterday, and while they. You know, square holes, round pegs, but it worked.
3: Yeah, and I think I think they have what Liverpool have are really, really interesting options. I've just mentioned it with the front line, but it's true about the midfield as well. I think and he he wasn't. I mean, Shobasli out is 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 a blow. he's probably like the most clearly nailed out of that midfield group. But having to pick from Well, being able to pick from like Curtis Jones and like Harvey Ellis is a really good player, and you've got Endo if you want to beef that up a bit. Gravenberg is incredible. Like I'm just listing midfielders at this point, but like there are really. It's a really interesting squad they've got this season. And you do... Maybe the reason... And I think the initial sort of tweet you referenced is not ent- I Do you think we don't talk about Liverpool perhaps in quite the way we should talk about a team that's top of the league in in late January? But there is also this kind of sense that there may be a... Weirdly, in, in, in both top of the league and a work in progress. Because if if Liverpool were playing a Champions League final tomorrow, I don't think it would be obvious what the eleven would be, right? Like because there are so many different like constellations you can go with. Mm. So it feels a little bit like rather than a settled eleven that looks amazing and everyone knows what's going on, Klopp is just kind of figuring out what works for what setting. But then, as we've seen, they've done such a good job in various games, changing things up, changing, making little tweaks, bringing on substitutes. So. They have a really good sort of yeah they have they have a really good squad. Is get what, what, what yes I just spent a lot of words saying.
2: And Pablo says every player on Liverpool's starting eleven had facial hair today. Is this the closest to Jurgen Klopp's image that we can hope for? Uh, this is the work that mainly producer Joel has been getting up to this morning. Allison standard normal beard moustache. Harvey Elliott moustache and trim chin strap. Darwin Nunez conquistador moustache. Curtis Jones goatee. Joe Gomez full beard no moustache. McAllister, stubble. Jotter, somewhere between thick stubble and light beard. Luis Diaz, quite a thick chin strap. Van Dyke has a sort of soul patch on the chin, as does Canate and as does Conor Bradley, which shows Virgil's influence in the dressing room, <laughs> presumably. But yeah, a totally no clean shaven player in the Liverpool starting 11. So a uh, uh, well-noticed Pablo, I have no questions on this, but
4: I, I enjoyed it. Do you think that's one for the academy players that they don't, they can't get into the first team until they, until they can grow some yeah. proper facial hair? That's yeah. what Connor, Connor Bradley's been waiting for. He's just got, he's finally got that yeah. little bit. Lewis on the Miley chin.
2: would never get. Lewis Miley would never get a run, would he? <laughs> but, um, uh, Arsenal five, Palace nil. Then Fraser says, was it the set piece, Boffin, or was it really the wisdom of Salt Bay? Um, Nico Jova, the the set piece coach. Um, uh, he they, on comms they were talking about how all they did in Dubai, Lars, was practice set pieces. It's all they did. As I as I mentioned to Barry yesterday, did they take Crystal Palace's Chris Richards to Dubai with them uh, to work on not quite marking Gabrielle as part of the holiday? I don't know, but it's good to be good at set pieces. I mean that that seems really obvious.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. No one should be too. Uh, no one should be too proud and haughty to put the work in to have good set piece uh, routines you tend to think that from palace's perspective like that is a stinky way to lose this game like they're you, you're missing some people you're going to the emirates there's like a bunch of different ways that game can go wrong for you and you're conceding two corners so that you're 2-0 down like that's uh, that's really really dispiriting, well well executed maybe maybe that's maybe that's the key when they do these warm weather training camps just do a lot less training just work on set pieces somewhere where it's not quite so cold to stand around all the time mm.
2: i mean they did will who was it i think it was match the day who sort of showed in really granular detail. Who's blocking who? who Erdegaard's pulling his socks up. I don't know if I need all that analysis. I'm just quite happy seeing corners occasionally go in and occasionally not, but... It's it's quite interesting how much goes into it. Lars, you have your hand raised. I can come back to you.
3: Yeah, just after that. If I was Martin go, I would just be doing increasingly bizarre things with my socks and like I just start like doing the worm or something like really, really, odd, really odd things on corners just to see what the people in <laughs> Master of the Day make of it.
2: Get some MC Hammer pants. Yeah. go
0: across the box, slide across the box. Yeah. Yes, you could you could pointedly roll one sock right down and pull the other one right right up onto yeah. your shorts. It would be
4: distract the defender. Maybe that's what Chris Richards was doing. He was just looking at Odegaard, messing with Sots going, "Oh, hello, hello." Maybe I've worked... what does that mean? Yeah, maybe I've worked this out. And then by the time he's worked it out, the ball's in the back of the net. Unfortunately,
2: yeah. I mean, because sometimes, sometimes Barry, I have a sort of oversimplistic view that just sometimes the corner is hit in such a way, and everyone's running, and then sometimes an attacker will just get the flight of the ball. I mean, there's obviously skill in heading the ball, and there's real bravery in heading a ball. Gabriel showed that but sometimes it's
0: just where the ball goes I get what you say Max but if it's it's a lot easier if you're if you get a free run at it so if your teammates are blocking defenders and someone's standing right beside the keeper then your your job in reaching the ball and getting highest is is made that considerably easier.
2: So That is interesting. I was just thinking about translating it to Sunday League. You know, like, because everybody in Sunday League, no one knows what they're doing. No one ever scores from a corner. But really, you get half your attackers to just hold other defenders and not worry about attacking the ball. It's a really good idea. I mean, you wonder, like, Arsenal really needed this, Lars, this result, didn't they? And and, and it was a poor run. But I wonder if Palace is the the bigger part of this story.
3: Yeah, because they are are kind of Creeping towards the relegation situation, aren't they? I mean, it's still, like, five points above Luton, but that doesn't feel, like, enormously safe now. Luton have a game in hand, and... I don't know. The thing that's slightly puzzling for me is that when Roy came back in last season, we were all a little bit surprised by how that went, because they suddenly were much more attacking than they had been. And it's like, Roy unleashed unleashed the Hounds of Palace, and, and that just seemed not what we thought was going to happen, and they worked really well. And and that is definitely not happening this season. Like it feels very constrained what they're doing. And I mean, one thing that's been difficult for them, and I don't know if this is a mitigating factor because it's obviously it's his job to figure this stuff out, but. Michael Elise and Ibera Eze has almost never been fit and available at the same time. I'm sure that's something that's... About I looked it up. It's only something like three games they've been able to start together, which is crazy. Yeah. And that's obviously bad for them in terms of where their creativity is coming from. Jordan Ayew is amazingly the most fouled player in the league so far. This is one of the strangest stats I think I've come across in a long time. But clearly him just receiving the ball and falling over at some point is something that's helping them a lot. Now he's not available. So... I, of way to Arsenal isn't the game where you sort of decide we can't do this anymore I think but there's they're not winning games they're, they're really not and and Roy seems to be struggling to find a way to stop that
4: I think obviously
3: you see the
2: fan
4: fanner, which shows they're upset with the club
2: yeah it said wasted potential on and off the pitch weak decisions taking us backwards and there was a sort of sad shot of Roy looking sad it looked like he was reading the banner and looking sad
4: they've been in the Premier League for 10 straight years they don't Really, ever seems to have made an impact. The problem the fans have now is that you look at other clubs like Bournemouth make bold decisions when it comes to getting their Ayola, Brighton get Desirbe. They have a structure, they have a plan. Palace's plan seems to be if they can get the best player in the championship, that's pretty good. They don't have a striker that will ever score enough goals. There's a lot of money being made out of ten years in the Premier League and to not have have to find a striker that might score 10 to fifteen goals a season seems pretty inept and the recruitment seems quite boring at best, I would say, and that's it and when you've got a problem, yeah fine, you've brought in Roy Hodgson to the end of the season to keep you up but that no 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 issue with that that's fine. But when it comes to the summer, you have to make a plan for the future. And unfortunately, as much like Roy Hodgson, having a 75-year-old in the dugout doesn't really imply long-term thinking because they had those mums to think, oh, you know, maybe maybe we could get your Iola or someone of that ilk or a younger coach. And I'm sure Roy would have generously taken another position at the club. And I think that's what frustrates fans. That it doesn't really seem to have sort of modernised. Selhurst Park is... Quite antiquated in you know, Premier League terms. It's you know it, it doesn't seem to be any sort of natural indication of where ten years of Premier League money is is being funneled.
2: Hmm. I, I presume, Barry, that Graham Potter was shoehorned in for the job. He was even taking notes in the stand. But apparently, um, Palace have passed on Graham Potter because he used to manage Brighton and because of that rivalry, they they won't go there, which seems. I mean, I know it's, it can be quite an incendiary rivalry, but that seems—I mean, whether Potter is the right man is a different question. But that seems an odd thing to do. Do you do you think the writing is on the wall now for for Roy?
0: Well, my prediction going into this weekend was that Palace would lose heavily, and I thought we would be discussing uh, Roy Hodgson's dismissal on this pod, or else you'd have to do a voice note, you know, later to to add in. Uh, after when he can, be can you do it Barry to... i'm really i'm really
2: tired <laughs> Ian is not sleeping i i i pass on voice note duties to you if roy gets the bullet at you know midnight my time
0: i i will happily do that for you yeah that i mean i i think he pr- probably should go um the thing about potter and passing on potter because he used to manage brighton is quite interesting because i know for palace and brighton fans that is an incendiary rivalry but it's one Everyone else sort of looks at, and just shrugs their shoulders and can't really get their head around it because they're not neighbours. You know, we we've spoken before why they are rivals. Whether or not Palace fans would care that he used to manage Brighton is for them to say. I, I honestly don't know. There seems to be a bit of turmoil behind the scenes at Palace. So you've three different American investors, uh, the main shareholders, John Texter, who apparently would like them to go on more flamboyant forays into the transfer market. Uh but Steve Parish, who is the minority shareholder, I think his I think his stake in the club is now around ten percent. But he seems to run the club. So he has he decides who they buy and he decides who manages the club. And apparently um Parish and Texter fell out quite recently over the American guys takeover of leon uh there was shares had to be shifted from one holding company into another and perished in sanction it was all very boring but they, apparently they're they're not seeing eye to eye at the moment and then you've these two other guys in the background david blitzer and josh harris who have about 20 percent each i think so yeah, there just seems to be questions over who is actually making the behind-the-scenes decisions, and that, that could buy Roy some time.
3: I also just think, very briefly, I can't imagine Roy Hardison will get them relegated. And if you're the owners of Crystal Palace, you're probably looking at it right now thinking, that'll do. Like we First season in ages without Wilf Sahab, had some bad injuries, you know okay, if we just stay up, we regroup in the summer, we go again. Whereas I do think if they get rid of him, there's quite a few replacements out there who may well get palace relegated somehow. So it is one of those, from the owner's perspective, better the old devil you know, but I totally get why the fans are not at all enthused with what they're paying to watch every week.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Well done, Gabriel Martellano,
2: by the way. Uh, the, he only scored two so far this season, so he, did, he needed to score. And it was nice of Palace to let him score the same goal twice. And you imagine <laughs> if that had been another 10 minutes injury time? He could have got another 10, uh, couldn't he? Um, all right, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll do uh, the other two games, which were incredibly entertaining. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly uh, to Brentford then. They beat Forrest 3-2. And the pre-game hype for Ivan Tony was quite a lot, wasn't it? It felt like a a, uh, a returning WWE wrestler that had been in a ladder-induced coma or something hit by a chair six months ago and came out, you know, sort of jumped out of the Undertaker's coffin or something. And Brentford had lost five games in a row prior to this, win their lowest position in the Premier League since being promoted. It is very impressive that Tony delivered under quite a lot of pressure,
0: was made captain, scored a goal. You know, did everything you could ask of him, really? Yeah, he was captain, and there was, I think, something faintly ludicrous about him leading his team out with a big sponsor or ad for a gambling firm on the front of his shirt after the suspension he's been through. Uh, he looked a bit rusty at times, but uh, he got his goal, uh, more of which anon, I, I guess. Help set up another and was pretty impressive. And, and Brentford looked to be sliding towards trouble and, and they will need him fit and firing, I think. He seems to rub a lot of people up the wrong way with his comments about Brentford, with his the manner in which he's so noncommittal about his future. and Many people seem to think, you know, he owes Brentford, but if they do sell him, they'll get a lot of money for him. So, you know, there is that. Uh, but I think they'd rather just have him than have a big pile of cash to invest on someone who may not be as good as him uh, because players of his uh, calibre are few and far between in the January market. Um, but yeah, I was very impressive, or impressed with him and uh, he will only improve One imagines if he stays fit.
2: Nigel says, is what Ivan Tony did to the magic spray, the equivalent of a traffic warden getting his crayons out to extend a double yellow line (laughs) to justify (laughs) giving a ticket? Um, Yes, moving the ball is one thing, Lars. Moving the foam is utterly tremendous, isn't it? John says, one for laws, Lars. Is what Tony did actually against the laws of the game? I've seen a lot of debate, but no one actually saying whether it was allowed or not.
3: I I must have a gander through my beloved laws of the game and see if there's... I I don't know that there's anything... I wonder. That seems like something that would be a yellow card, just out of instinct, but just off the top of my head, I don't know. What What I do know is that it's definitely not inside VAR's remit, so the sort of post-match uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth is kind of uh, a little bit misguided in there. It, it seems like the kind of thing that ideally the referee should spot. If he doesn't, then, you know, you've, you've no away with it. But I also feel... It should be possible for the defenders, for the wall to go, oh, hang on, he's moved this a little bit. Maybe we should <laughs> yeah. adjust accordingly. Is him Hodgson-Odoy, who was just kind of hanging around on the outside of the wall going, I wonder, I wonder if there's something I should be doing here. And it seems seems like a very sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah, that seems suboptimal from a defensive perspective.
4: It just seems like the footballing equivalent of Johnny Bairstow being stumped in the in the ashes, Well, basically, (laughs) you as a professional sportsman and something slightly foolish, i.e. Burstow wandered out of his grounds, Nottingham Forest, elite sportsmen at the highest level of professional football, have not spotted that a man has moved the ball slightly and adjusted. And essentially, it's maybe against the spirit of the game, because I'm sure everyone cares about that when it comes to the Premier League and winning three points. But actually... You're probably at fault for being a little bit naive at this level. That the goalkeeper, for some reason, has not moved the wall. The defenders haven't moved the wall. They say Hudson and just sort of standing around, seeing what seeing what's happening, doing you know, being a vibes man on the end of the wall. Yeah, it's just, it just seems like that. You've just not... Yeah, you, know, you should be better. You should, you should, this is your job to stop the ball getting in the net. If the ball's moved half a yard, you should be able to see that.
2: He wasn't even on the end of the ball. He was about two yards away. And then he did just, go, you know, he just sort of lazily swung <laughs> a foot as if he was walking through the park and a ball came near him from another game and he tried to kick it back and went, oh, it's not...
0: I, I would say, Max, if I'm walking through the park and a ball rolls my way, I give it my... I really yeah. focus. On yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're Trying right. to send it back from <laughs> whence it came.
3: And then you, you shotter it. <laughs>
2: Um, Forrest have written to the PGMOL and the Premier League. I believe if you if your letter is really well written, you get three points.
3: I want PGMOL to start writing to the clubs when they make like every little mistake in the game. It's like, well, the defender kicked that ball the wrong way. It's like the stern letter from PGMOL incoming immediately.
2: Yeah, they're right. They should write to whichever Brentford player it was smacked it 20 yards in the air just before Danilo scored that brilliant volley to say, yeah, I know. yes, that was not a good clearance. Anyway, they, they, they've written to them. Um, uh, to ask for an explanation, uh, over the controversial free kick, um, Gary Neville tweeted: "Club's right to the PGM. Well, is embarrassing. Liverpool and Arsenal started it. Set the president of this nonsense. Ref should be doing better. Uh, and are under enormous pressure at the moment. It's in clubs' interest to work with them to make them improve. This public posturing is unnecessary. Um, I could probably agree with that. I mean, but back to the actual football. Will Neil Mopay's winner was absolutely sensational. Like three and three for him. It warms the heart. Like he is." He is clearly such a talented player, and like i I was worried that he wasn't anymore.
4: yeah, At Everton he did, didn't look like he could you know, hit a barnyard door with a banjo, did he? It was pretty worrying as a professional striker that you were so poor at finishing, never in the, not even in the right places to miss the chances generally from from my memory's time at Everton Can I just
2: stop you, I, I think it's a barn. A barn door. Didn't he say it? barnyard, barnyard? door? It doesn't <laughs> have a door, does it? That's just the.
4: Well, a barnyard for a gate. Okay, okay. So I carry on. Do- a barn door with a of a <laughs> banjo. Yes, I mean he's. he's either way, <laughs> <the> bar- Carry <laughs> Look, Carry on. We've got to move. The- we've got to evolve these things. Yeah, right, okay. We've got to move on. There's not many barns around anyway. The farming industry's in crisis. But yeah, and it was. Generally, just didn't just looks off the pace. I saw him a few times. Did see his only goal for Everton as well, so I was really pleased about that. And that was a deflection (laughs) Um, that he managed to cling on to. But uh, the goal, the chest down, maybe 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 it was somewhere near his shoulder, and so there's another letter going into the into the referees from Nottingham Forest just in case it might have been a handball on the off chance. But great control, great swivel, you know. When you when you're getting the ball to you back to goal like that and putting it in, that's they're the goals you want to score, aren't they? Everyone likes a good swivel, sort of one movement. It's um, no, it's good to see. Say when when you are, you know, at the top level, you're all, you're always going to be capable of these things. But you've seen people get the the yips or whatever, you completely lose confidence, and he seems you know he seems like quite a decent bloke, Mopé, from from things I know. So, it's yeah, it's nice to see that he's scoring goals and seems to actually be enjoying football because I guess when you're a striker not scoring, you must loathe being out on the pitch at times.
2: Yeah. And it just seems strange, doesn't it? Because not that goal, but other goals he scored, last are just... He's just been in the right place. And he clearly at Everton was just entirely in the wrong place.
3: Yeah, and I think... Just Brentford seemed to get the best out of a lot of players. It's it's it's, it's nice to see. And, you know, do you not know, wonder if you're Neil Mope? You've scored that winner and you're Neil Mope and you've had the last couple of years that he's had. You're not slightly annoyed that everyone's kind of talking about Ivan Tony after the game. It's like, what? Look at what I did. He scored a free kick where he did something sneaky. Why did the swivel and volley? I'm Mopay. Like, come on. Give me some attention.
0: What about poor old Danilo? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good point.
4: That's some hit. Did you see the, the Ben Me tweet as well?
2: No, what did he say?
4: Where oh, he scored and he, he said something like, oh, you know, everyone's been talking about a, a real goal scorer coming back to the team. Here I am. <laughs> um, great win for Brentford. They needed it.
2: Um, uh, to Bramall Lane, Sheffield United 2, West Ham 2. Injury time, Barry, was absolutely fantastic
0: <laughs> in this game. Yeah, uh, it was uh, superb. Um we had red cards, we had a uh, penalty and not a penalty that possibly should have been given, a penalty that was given and probably shouldn't have been given. And uh, David Moyes then in textbook Moyes style after the game, uh, beginning his interview by saying he wasn't going to go complain about the officials and then going on <laughs> to complain at <laughs> great length about the officials. <laughs> uh, sort of an, a non-moan moan. Uh, to put with a a non-celebration celebration. celebration. But um, I thought Sheffield United were possibly unlucky not to get all three points out of this game. Uh, And they certainly deserved the point. And even if the penalty they got at the end was, I don't think it should have been given, uh, Fabianski... Sorry, Ariola. Fabianski wasn't yes, on the pitch. Fabianski yet, yes. hadn't. <laughs> uh, Ariola came off his line, uh, got an elbow in the face, which led to him having a bloodied nose. And uh, Ollie McBurney <laughs> got a penalty for it. I'm really not sure why.
2: <laughs> Phil says after a grueling shift like that, a gentle warm down or full ice bath for Lucas Fabianski. Um, uh, yes, I, I, I'm. I'm with you, Barry. When I first saw it. Lars, I thought that's a penalty in the sort of Anana Wolves game keepers never get penalized for these things I'm glad to see a keeper has finally been penalized but actually I think that was slightly unfortunate
3: Yeah I I kind of had the same journey Max as you did with that one I, I initially mm. like well, he's come flying out with his fist there I mean thank god someone's actually given a pen for that because keepers shouldn't be allowed to do it but you watch at the replay and you think he has he has definitely been uh, a little a little unfortunate there. Uh, and, but, but it's, again, West Ham, this is such a, the whole West Ham situation, sort of pivoting here, but the whole West Ham situation is so weird because they were not good in this game, but they managed to get themselves in a the winning position that they shouldn't have given up. And it just feels like, there seemed to be a significant amount of disgruntlement amongst a certain section of the West Ham fan base, which I was completely understand watching their games. But at the same time, they are sixth, which is really good for West Ham. The whole situation kind of boggles the brain uh, for me. I can't figure out what's happening, which is bad for a for, for podcast. And they were
0: missing several very important players yesterday. You know, Paqueta, Mohamed Kudus, Alvarez, Michel Antonio, Ben Rama to a lesser extent, all out. And, you know, a draw up Bramalline under those circumstances, is in the worst result in the world. Yeah,
2: they're sixth. And the five teams above them are all really quite good. I mean, that's another point that's <laughs> worth making. It's like, that's probably as high as you could ever imagine they could get th- this season. Um, Will, what did you make of the, the penalty that wasn't given? Simon says, Jared Bowen, rugby tackled an injury time but no penalty. Madness. The Chevrolet United player was not even looking at the ball. I'm not sure. I felt like he was looking at the ball for some of the time. And I just couldn't. I honestly could watch that forever and not know who was fouling who.
4: I would give it as a penalty, but it's not a hill I am willing to die on. It was. It is. Say, it did no. it? It didn't look much into it until he turned around and sort of was eye to eye with Bowen as he as he took him down. It was like it was one of those where you sort of in the box you holding on to each other. This is what happens. And for some reason, he spun around to make it look a bit more obvious, just to just to get the referee's interest going. And especially, obviously, after what happened at the other end, you think everyone's a bit on edge about what happens in the box because the Areola one really wasn't a penalty. So, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I would have given it, but I'm not, it's not the worst mistake in history, I would argue. Um, But, yeah, don't, don't, don't look players in the eye as you take them down, is my advice in future. Just be more subtle.
0: I thought the penalty West Ham got was a little bit soft, actually. Do it. Uh, Gustavo Hamer trip on well trip in commas on Danny Ings I thought there was contact but it wasn't necessarily a foul so you know swings and roundabouts
3: I think maybe he just felt that Jared Bowen needed a hug, you know. It had been a long game. It, 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 nerves were being frayed. But as we all know, like even sometimes, someone you want to give someone a hug, you shouldn't keep eye contact while doing it. It becomes it becomes much more awkward than it yeah. needs to be. So <laughs> yeah, it's quite hard to. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. to
2: hug with eye contact, isn't it? You're right. Um, I, I mean, the person who needed a hug was David Moyes when the penalty was given for Sheffield United. I mean, he looked. He looked haunted, like ashen-faced. It was sort of quite extraordinary to see a man who is quite grey anyway go even greyer.
3: <laughs> I, I think what I was trying to articulate very poorly earlier, so poorly in fact that it may not make the edit, is that if you just didn't know anything about what's happened this season and you watch this game just from a West Ham perspective and you watch there almost total inability to like get any passing moves going and David Moyes looking haunted on the sideline and just scrappy and just nonsense happening at the end. And Moyes complaining about the referee. You'd think they were like 16th or something like the whole me, uh, And I completely get about the players not being available, but it just had such a, like a lower half of the table vibe to the whole thing. And then you look at the table and they're sixth. It's an incredibly weird uh, situation, mm. but, uh, but but uh, that's, but that's where we are.
2: I spent not a lot of time, Barry thinking about Rian Brewster. Um, he spent not a lot of time playing football
0: in this match. I don't really know what to make of him. Was it, was it Liverpool they signed him from? And big money and he didn't he he's again, he seems to be one of those strikers who's good enough for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League. You know, so decent championship player, but and and but then Dominic Solanke, I think we all thought that was the case with him, and he's come good this season. It may prove to be a he may prove to be a one season wonder. Yeah, I, I like you, Max. I have not really given Rian Brewster a second thought in a very long time until he clattered into Emerson and and got sent off.
2: Rian Brewster's millions, uh, twenty three and a half million of them from uh, uh, that's what he cost uh, from Liverpool. Uh, well, do you think Ben Brereton Diaz is is Slightly above the too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League. I thought he took his goal brilliantly. Actually, that touch was great, but he missed another chance. But I like him.
4: Yeah, I think it was the chance he missed was slightly worrying. I mean, he's not he's not played in the Premier League before, has he? This is his this is his chance. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't really offer any good analysis. of him. Was good in the championship, yep. did nothing in the Liga. Yep. So let's see how he do, let's see how he does. Mm. That's the fun. Brewster, we know, is probably not good enough for the Premier League. So Ben Burris and dle you know bring a bit of jeopardy. we could all decide and keep focus on him because the the chance he missed I'd be a bit more worried about because he threw on goal and he completely lacked composure but as I say for the first one he he pounced that was the important thing very much you know Ariola probably should have done better than getting the ball in a slightly different direction but um yeah, no, it was a it was a good it was a good finish um and say in the right place
2: yeah it was interesting James Wood prowse afterwards. I really liked his penalty, culture and power from that penalty. But compared to Moyes afterwards, Woodpress was incredibly honest, saying we were not really very good and we've got to be better than that. And it was just so refreshing. It's always refreshing to hear somebody sort of be quite honest about what we've all just seen on the pitch. So uh, credit to him for that. Um, Aston Villa have rejected an offer from West Ham to sign John Duran on loan with an option to buy. Um, they're reportedly interested in Armando Broja from Chelsea. Um, although Danny Ings did play quite well in this game. I mean, he hasn't scored m- many or any, or he hasn't scored a lot of
0: goals, but I thought he had a half-decent game. He hasn't really played much, though. Yeah, I mean, you cool. can't score if you're not on the pitch. Yeah, he worked hard, and but it, it was a decent performance, but miss, missing a goal, and he, I would imagine he would be annoyed he didn't score.
2: All right, that'll do for part two. Brighton Wolves play tonight, of course, uh, the final game of this extended Premier League two-week weekend. And uh, we'll be back in a sec with any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Let's start with those two racism stories. Uh, In the AFL... um, Casey Palmer, Coventry City player. He put a statement out on his social media saying, disappointed to even have to come on here and write this. Racism is a disgrace. It has no place in the world, let alone football. I'm black and proud. I'm raising my three kids to be the exact same. I'll be honest. It feels like things will never change, no matter how hard we try. A couple of fans doing monkey chants don't define a fan base. I appreciate all the love and support I've received. Um, Chevy Wednesday and Coventry City uh, sent out a joint statement on this, actually uh, condemning uh, what happened. Mike Mannion, similarly AC Milan keeper, Uh, he alerted the referee before leaving the pitch uh, Udinese uh, due to repeated racist chants from local fans, as reported by the Italian media, was followed by his teammates down the tunnel. They came out again. Uh, The game was restarted after less than 10 minutes. Look, I think we have to listen to people who've experienced this, right? And when we've talked about on this subject, we do. We talked to Jordan and Troy and, and others who have experienced this, but more and more people seem to be walking off the pitch that doesn't seem like a terrible idea to me Gin Anfantino has called for the implementation of an automatic forfeit um, of games for teams whose fans commit racist abuse Um, he says as well as the three step process match stop match restop, match abandon we have to implement an automatic forfeit for the team whose fans have committed racism and caused the match to be abandoned as well as worldwide stadium bans and criminal charges for racists Um, uh, and actually we haven't done a pod on racism in quite a long time so it's something that we should it's something we should do and we will do. Um, I don't know if anyone else has any strong thoughts on they want to say on this.
0: Well, it's it's just that, you know, what Casey Palmer says is correct, that a couple of idiots don't define a fan base. This is the second act of, you know, sort of disgraceful act we've had at Hillsborough this season. And in the first one, when some moron uh, who has since been given a suspended prison sentence, you know, held up his phone with a picture of Bradley Lowry on it, the the kid who died, the Sunderland supporting kid who died of from cancer, a few years ago, uh, Jermaine Defoe's little mate, uh, he held up a picture of him to, to taunt Sunderland fans, and the rest of the Sheffield United fan or Sheffield Wednesday fan base, uh, sort of had a GoFundMe whip around and donated tens of thousands of pounds to to the Bradley Lowry Foundation. So, uh. Is it fair to punish an entire fan base for the actions of a couple of idiots? Probably not, but I think it's the only way that this problem is going to be solved. Points deductions, fines don't seem to work. Points deductions, stadium bans, blah, 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 um, or playing behind closed doors. I, I think that might focus the mind of some of the more Neanderthal supporters out there.
3: Yeah, no, I I think the idea of the of the home uh, team um, essentially forfeiting the game kind of makes sense just because logically the players are entitled to do their jobs in an environment in which they're not racially abused and it is it is the host uh, the club hosting the game's responsibility to ensure they have that environment and if they can't they, they, that team loses the game I mean that, that makes perfect sense uh,
2: Elsewhere a bit of transfer speculation at least Bayern Munich are expected to test Newcastle's resolve with further bids for Kieran Trippier. Um, someone did tweet, Charlie Baker told me on the radio on Saturday, is Harry Kane just trying to organise a stag do? Which did make me laugh a lot. Um, uh, Newcastle indicated they'll reject any further offers for Trippier. And they've got Liveramento, I guess, Will. And so you could think, well, if they can get some cash for Trippier. But he feels such he feels like the heartbeat of that side. And it is interesting, given how what we thought would happen with Newcastle, and perhaps hadn't considered FFP or PSR in the Premier League, that... that um, that Newcastle would ever be in this position where they might have to sell before they buy, and they're looking at, you know, they 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 don't want to sell Trippier or Callum Wilson, but people are sniffing around.
4: Well, say the PSR stuff has made it quite frank with points deductions, and you know it's spread over three years, so they'll be looking at next season a bit of concern. If you think of the amount of transfers they've brought in, where the costs will be spread over that period, that they need to sell at some point potentially. I'd probably argue that Trippier's value, you know, due to his age, makes him not a particularly great candidate to sell. And selling someone that's such an important player in your first team might be ill-advised at this stage. But if if those are the case of needs must, it, it's an interesting sign of the of the future of investment in football. Where, and I would argue that Newcastle haven't actually gone too far over the top in spending with the means that they have. So, if they need to sell him, it would be quite. Problematic for them, I would argue that you know someone so you know irregular. I know he's had a few issues with form this season, but if you're having to sort of ship him out in January just to get close to balancing the books, it's it's not a not a great look. And you know, but if they could get a good deal for a thirty-three-year-old, on the other hand, I think he's thirty-three. Apologies if he's younger. Um, yeah, it would be it it might make some sense, but I'd still be surprised. Um, from a footballing point of view to, with Newcastle not doing particularly as well as they may have liked at the moment to, to sell a key player when you can't replace him. They might have lived Mento, but the strength in depth at Newcastle is not the best. Mm.
2: Um, Bayern Munich wouldn't have to do a medical, really. They'd just have to check if he was awake, given how exhausted we've established Kieran Trippier is and has been over the last few months. Uh, while we're on Bayern, Lars, uh, Matt says, should Harry Kane leave Munich if he wants to win trophies? They lost at home to Werder Bremen. They're now seven points behind Bayer Leverkusen. They do have a game in hand. Um, should should Bayern be worried? Leverkusen seem to be sticking the course.
3: Yeah, Harry Kane, the, the runaway top scorer in the league with 22 goals and 17. He's kind of, he, he's found himself, Max, suddenly in a position where he, as an individual, is playing magnificently and scoring a lot of goals. But the team he's in is kind of, not quite hitting their targets i mean this That'd be a surprise game. for him I- 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 eerily really <laughs> for him i i guess if you're a Bayern fan you're still kind of hoping that squad depth and all these sort of things that usually catch up with someone will catch up with Leverkusen because i think the story here like Bayern have not they're not they're on track for a pretty good score like they've they've won 13 out of 17 this season you know the, drawn two and lost two. That's not horrible after 17 games, but Leverkusen just, just aren't stopping. They're undefeated and they're playing good football and they just seem to be making it happen. It's extraordinary work by, by Xavi Alonso and, and, and the team there.
2: Uh, Archie sent me what he called the ideal win, uh, which is from, uh, I think, the third division in Germany. Dresden nil, Sandhausen 1. Uh, Dresden had 72% possession, 27 goal attempts, nine on target. 14 off target, four block shots, 22 free kicks, 13 corners. Um, Sandhausen had 28% possession, one goal attempt, one shot on goal, <laughs> no <laughs> shots off goal, no block shots, <laughs> no corners, and they won 1-0. Yes. Absolutely tremendous stuff. Perhaps that's where, perhaps Jose just shipped up there quickly after Roma. Um, um Imeric Laporte um, says he's unhappy in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um he said, many of us have also come here not only for football, many of us are happy with that, but I'm also looking for something beyond that. It's not the economic part and such in terms of quality of life. I expected something different because in the end here, you spend three hours a day in the car. Riyadh is a waste of traffic, of time wasted in the car. I says they probably didn't tell. I mean, I didn't know that traffic was a... I mean, I could have guessed that traffic was bad occasionally in Riyadh, but... Uh, I didn't know. Do
3: do they not have advisors, these people? Like, I don't understand this. Did they just... Did they look at the tourism ads that they visit Saudi and they look at the numbers on the paper of the country and they go, ah, this seems great. Like, presumably with, like, really big life choices, you put... Some sort of research and this Henderson thing, like he reportedly discovered it was a bit hot and humid there when they played. I get that feels like it gets a bit hot in Saudi Arabia. I feel like someone should have been able to tell him this. Like, this whole situation is absurd to me.
2: Mm. Uh, Jack says, Can you rank Ronaldo's comments from least to most delusional? He said, To be honest, I think the Saudi league is not worse than the French league. I think right now we're better. Um, He said, this year I did a fantastic season. I was the best goal scorer. Imagine beating animals, young lions, like Erling Haaland with the goals. I am proud. I'm 39 (laughs) soon and I'm looking good. I'd love to have the confidence, Barry, to just say I'm 45 soon and I'm looking good. Yeah, I'm
0: 51 soon and I look like a sack of shit. (laughs) And I'm uh, proud, well, I'm not proud to say it, but I'm confident <laughs> to say it. and No one will dispute me uh, or or take it up with me and go, no, Barry, you look svelte and, and lean and muscular and not a day over 40. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo does look good. Uh, but uh, look, I haven't seen any of the Saudi league, so I have no idea. I, I believe the standard is appalling, but I'm not in a position to, to judge because... Uh, I haven't seen any of it and I don't have any real interest in watching it because I don't have time I have too much other football to watch but um, yeah this, I mean the Eimerick-Laporte comments weren't as scathing as I had been led to believe they were You know, he right, maybe is he stuck in the car for three hours because the traffic is terrible or because he lives really far away from the training ground, I don't know Uh my understanding is a lot of the players who who live in Saudi Arabia or who play in Saudi, the Saudi league live in Bahrain. Uh, I'm not sure how far of a drive it is to to get to the training ground. Uh, I think you have to cross a, a quite long bridge. But um, I'm sure the car I'm Laporte is stuck in is quite a nice car. And
4: he's got no aircon. It's, got it's <laughs> a disaster. <laughs> Yeah. You
3: know,
2: didn't think this through. <laughs> you know. The sweat mark on his seatbelt when he gets out. <laughs> and he's just like, oh dear. Uh in the WSL, Lauren James got a hat trick for Chelsea in their 3-1 win over Manchester United the weekend. Uh Women's Football Weekly is out tomorrow. Uh so listen to that, please. Um uh, pretty much rules Manchester United out of the title race. Um and Chelsea march on. Richard says if you want to change Uh, A change to the usual and are doing any fit bar corner. Feel free to look up what was number one when Craig Gordon uh, made his debut. Uh, Craig Gordon plays uh, 7,777 days after making his competitive debut on the 6th of October, 2002. 21 years, three months, and 15 days ago, number one was a double A side. The Long and Winding Road, Suspicious Minds by Will Young and Gareth Gates. I don't recall if they sang both songs together or they both recorded one of them. I, I've i forgotten that, but sort of the original pop idol, wasn't it? They just knocked off uh, uh, Pink's just like a pill off the top spot.
0: I mean, it is, it is, uh, we're being flippant, but it is quite an impressive achievement by Gordon because he suffered, a i think he was at Sunderland and he suffered a really bad knee injury and he more or less retired, got a big insurance payout and then I think he gave it back and decided to resume his career and it it was quite a brave decision to do that and no one was sure if he'd be able to to play through the pain but he has done and uh, fair play to him.
2: On the last pod I was trying to list uh, reel off uh, famous bristolians uh, for some reason and as far as I can tell I didn't reel off anybody who was actually from Bristol. When I did it. Um, uh, Al says, Pam Ayres was born in Stanford in the Vale in Berkshire in 1947. North Berkshire, including Abingdon, Wallingford, Didcot, Wantage, and Stanford in the Vale, has been administered by Oxfordshire since the 1974 local government reorganisation. But Pam always considers herself as a native of Berkshire. Best wishes, Al. Not an email I expected. You thought you'd write to us, but it's appreciated nonetheless. Stephen, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Nick Park is a proud Prestonian. The studio he works at is based in Bristol. Yellow card. Neil, says Max. Bristol, John Robbins, Ellis' partner. And on the next series of talks, Marcel, you expats forget quickly. Clayton, says Carrie Grant, Stephen Merchant. All of Massive Attack. Summer Portishead, Tricky, Ronnie Size, Russell Howard, Jade Adams, David Prowse. You're welcome. Matt says, is the recent Central featuring of a Rushton family in Vera... A tip of the hat to Football Weekly's frequent mentions. I'd like to think so, especially now D.I. Ashworth is back and ended the Wilson, D.S. Healy beef. Do we think the writers of Vera are uh, are, are listening to us, Barry?
0: I, I don't know, but I, I saw the episode in question, and I do have to say I every time I heard the word Rushton, mm. I wouldn't say I bristled or anything, it just... When I'm watching Vera, I don't want to be thinking about you. You know, it's it's my no, down. Did I commit a murder?
2: Was I a victim? Was I the? What happened to me?
0: I did you? I can't remember off the top of my head, but I I have seen the episode.
2: Was I a farmer? They're always farmers, aren't they? They're always in sort of like. You know, this was sort of, there's a lot of draft in, in Vera. No house is, no house is adequate <laughs> to draft excluders, much like the Nottingham Forest Wall. Uh, it's a big problem, isn't it? Oh, well, I look forward to watching it.
3: Has Barry developed some kind of max PTSD is what I'm worried about now. This is sort of, you're scared.
2: I mean, we do spend a lot yes. of time together. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there's no need for any small talk that, you know, the, 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 you know, this is this is our communication. We don't spend a lot of time chatting when we're not doing this, but it doesn't mean we don't love each other. Yes, will? No.
4: In Vera, was the Rushton character killed by someone called Blending? <laughs> do we do we know? No, no. sort of Taken it, It's gone too far. Well, Can't take anymore.
2: Well, they, anyway, and Vera, Vera keeps wandering, ra- wandering up to this sort of an old man called Wilson, who's just recounting her with facts that she doesn't need, that nobody needs. <laughs> And eventually she just drops off to sleep. Um, anyway, feels like a good time to finish it, doesn't it? That'll do. Uh, thank you, Lars. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Will.
4: Thank you very much, Max.
2: Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson.
4: This is The Guardian.